0: Hi, welcome everyone to a new episode of Pop Cult X. As always, we are joined with your hosts, Gabriel and Danny. As you can see by your screen, if you're watching us on YouTube, we have a very special guest this week, Ed Luce. Um, we're going to be doing a little bit more introduction into uh, his career um, and his work, but we want to start, as always, with a little bit of pop culture news and what we've been up to. So um, we're going to let our guest start us off this week, <laughs> and um, I'm going to put the question out there. What have you seen television-wise, movie-wise that has been interesting in the last week? Go ahead and get us started, Ed.
1: Well, at the time of this recording, oh, first of all, thank you for having me on. Um, it's it's great to have the chance to, to chat with you both. Um, but at the time of this recording, uh, House of the Dragon premiered last night on HBO. And mm-hmm. uh, unpopular opinion, I didn't hate the end of Game of Thrones as much as most people did, I think. Okay, um, okay. I You know, I understand how these things work. They didn't have a, a book that they were working on for a long time, or working from, I should say, anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way that the internet works, uh, all of the theories that were going out <laughs> there, they had painted themselves into an <laughs> obvious corner. Uh, yeah. I am a pro wrestling fan, so I love a heel turn. I love a dramatic heel turn. Okay. So when Danny, uh, spoilers, it's been you know years <laughs> since that show ended. <laughs> Um, had her big heel turn. Uh, I was like, okay, this is interesting. How tragic, you know, how dramatic. Didn't hate it exactly. Uh, I think the thing that really upset most people, well, a lot of the little character arcs didn't make people happy, um, the way that they ended. Um, especially Brienne. I get it. I, you know, I was disappointed <laughs> with that too. Um, but Bran, you know, seemed like a logical choice uh, in some ways. So um hearing that they were going to do this prequel series completely detached for the most part i mean if you've seen the first episode you know that there's you know a lot of little easter eggs and one big sort of uh, you know foretelling of the future that we all mm-hmm. knew about uh, at the very end um at the first i was like ah this is this feels a little off um it looks a little cheap in some spots. Sorry. I mean it's their biggest <laughs> show and their biggest franchise. So. Their biggest budget. Like, right? Yeah. I was like, oh, come on. Like, I think we could do a little bit better. But um there were what I was looking for was some iconic moments like the first episode of the very first season of Game of Thrones. And we got them. I mean, in my oh, opinion. Okay. Uh I don't know. Are we doing spoilers or? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, go for it. Yeah. I mean, the birth scene was pretty major. I, I mean, they they kind of toned it down a little bit, and I I understood maybe why, given sort of what's going on um, politically in the country right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, they went there with that. Um, you know, the uh, Matt Smith's character. I'm gonna just. Skim over the names. I'm a big <laughs> fan of, of Gay of Thrones, the the recap show on YouTube that uh, Jonathan okay. Van Ness used to do. And I love how they had he had alternate names or they had alternate names for <laughs> the characters. So I'm just gonna use the actor names because I have not committed those to memory yet. But Matt Smith seems like a, a suitable villain. Uh, yeah. Matt Smith maybe, is great. Yeah, I'm gonna just the whole vibe, um, mm-hmm. the the sort of uh, passing down of the um what what is it the inheritance the uh uh i forget what it's called I, the whole episode is based on i can't remember the name of,
2: of the, <laughs> the
1: specific word but passing down the the, the throne um to the the uh, daughter mm-hmm. i love that whole scene so the dragons look good you know for the most part uh yeah i'm excited for it
2: Nice. very cool very cool now gabe have you ever watched game of thrones because we've never talked about it here have you ever seen a Game of Thrones episode? Because I'll tell you right now, I've never seen one. I've I'm a, I guess it's it's the new vegan, right? Being a snob, but I've never seen a Game of Thrones show, you know. And unfortunately I haven't because I didn't have HBO Max at the time when it was out and running. So but now I do have access to it. Maybe I should go back and watch it or maybe start in House of Dragons. Because I I have seen the the intrigue of it. I think 10 million people watched the first episode is what I heard. So must be wow.
0: worthwhile. So, full disclosure on my end, even though I am a textbook nerd and geek, I I can't I'm not a really big fantasy fan. Um and and the reason why, and I've this is kind of a running joke with like people I know, my friends is that whenever I see fantasy or science fiction, I rarely see people that look like me in it. Mm. And so I can't really get drawn into <laughs> The tales and the adventure of it, because I just I it just I don't know. It's a thing like and and I what I think that right now what's happening with this new series is that some of the criticism is of of it being not accurate by having a lot of people of color in it. So that's actually made me excited to go in and to watch it, because I am glad that maybe they went back and said, you know, let's fix some of our, the errors in our casting, possibly that we've created this fantasy realm and it should be inclusive of all different types of people. Mm-hmm. So that actually excites me about it. So I might actually go in and watch it now. Uh, I saw a really great tweet by by a woman and um, was saying that, you know, we're I, I forget if it was Lord of the Rings or this, but they were saying that they're very it's, it has a misogynistic tone to it and and she was like that peep fans are saying well we want to be true to the air and she's like what the fuck are you talking about era it's fantasy. It's like everything is made up i think yeah. it was lord of the rings and and so mm-hmm. i'm very much like in that camp of uh let's kind of fix some of the you know misogynistic homophobic um you know all white people aspect of fantasy and science fiction. And then I'll kind of join in as a fan. Uh, that's kind of where I am. So I, I've never watched it because of that. I've never really been interested in that. Um, but I have seen a lot of people of color start to create worlds in which are representative of a lot of different various background. And that excites me because I, I think that it is like a big hole that um, is missing within that genre. So that's where I fall on it. <laughs> Fair enough.
1: And here uh, I thought I had like a hot debate <laughs> question. <laughs>
0: like, I know, I feel, I feel bad because you're so excited to bring it up and I'm like, well, it'll be good for our fans to like be able to hear that because me and Danny hardly ever talk about <laughs> Game of Thrones. Um, and so no. I did want to hear your opinion of it. So it, it sounds like it's great, right? It sounds like it's a really good review from you. So I, I will now go and watch it um, and, and see if maybe... Um, it wins me as a fan.
1: Yeah, it might be a good thing for both of you to start fresh on before you tackle the sort of unwieldy amount of, of episodes that there are with Game of Thrones mm-hmm. of the original yeah. series. I mean, I would say it's indicative of sort of the sex and the violence that you'll see in the, the main series too, which yeah. I mean, again, uh, the thing that I was astounded by when I, I first wa- started watching the original series as a as a horror movie fan, it's almost the only thing that I watch outside of you know whatever you want to call oh, okay. prestige television. I don't know what we're calling it nowadays. Um <laughs> it's all horror. I love horror. And the average episode of Game of Thrones has more gore in it than <laughs> any of the Friday the 13ths like ever did. I would say nice. any of the nightmare on Elm Streets. I would say the average Game of Thrones episode has two Friday the 13ths worth of gore in wow. it. Wow. So okay yeah um and and the sex, especially the later Friday the 13th day the NPA um, got involved and started really cutting those uh, all the, the scenes out. <laughs> once they realized kids love the movie. No. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> so before we get any further, I think we should properly introduce you to to people who are watching and are That's listening. That's a good idea. Uh, and so um, I'll start with how I became a fan of of Ed and your work. Um, I think, like a lot of people, the character of lovable Oaf, like the actual image drew me into the comics. And uh, I'm gonna actually ask you about that, about branding a little bit later, but um, I was attracted to, you know, the big guy, dude character and like the little underwear with the pink cat. Uh, and then I started reading it and it, you know, found the humor and and kind of slice of life um, that that I found in it that I thought really to be interesting. Um, and then I've, I've actually met Ed at uh, a couple different, I think Comic-Con twice now and WonderCon Um, And was fortunate enough to get, you know, autograph, talk a bit about, you know, what your work is like. Um, But to give the full overview, um, you are a fine artist, a a comic book creator, um, independent artist. Um, You've done work with Image uh, for Marvel um, for all types of, you know, independent, huge comic book, you know, uh, publications, publications. created your own character that is like now becoming uh, you know an icon within um indie publishing and within you know queer culture heavy metal wrestling um i think you're now becoming also famous with your branding with branching out into you know some wrestling um partnerships Uh, you did a t-shirt for paro you've done some work with heavy metal artists with with um having them record music as your you know wovable oafs band uh, and so kind of all <laughs> over the place. Uh, and so uh, that you're also a professor, I should should mention, you're also a teacher and um, teach within uh, your industry and, and uh, you know, are helping the new generation of creators, I think, coming up. So uh, if I could, Ed, could you kind of start and give us like your origin story, how you got started <laughs> in the comic book industry?
1: Sure, yeah. I always say that I am a a refugee of the fine arts world to a certain degree. Uh, I went (laughs) to undergrad for illustration. Uh, Towards the end of that, uh, I decided I don't want to draw other people's ideas. Like I just, if I'm not into it, I can't do it. You can tell in the quality of the work. So I decided in my senior year that I wanted to uh, do a a bunch of paintings. Um, Sort of, I would say, um, my own kind of uh, processing of my religious upbringing so I did religious icons that were oh, okay. you know sort of um, sideshow um, creatures and the Virgin wow. Mary with like a, an anatomical heart you know with a, her mm-hmm. you know, chest ripped open and showing yeah. that and then I mean, I kind of got really into that and I used that portfolio to actually get into grad school at UC San Diego um, where they did not have an illustration program. Um, so I got wedged into the painting department and also, well, I ended up getting my degree in performance and, and installation, if you could believe that. So um, I think a lot of this kind of prepped me for uh, ultimately what I would do it, with my comics work, where um, I, the the project always starts on the printed page, but it's never uh, relegated to uh, Mm -hmm. just that space. Mm -hmm. Uh, It can become music, as you mentioned, or uh, it can become cosplay, it can become costumes, it can become toys. I have had a really great collaboration and partnership with the sculptor Eric Erspammer out of Phoenix, Arizona Um, he has made my, my goat blood costume that often you'll see. In fact, I, I wasn't sure if you were there to see at Comic-Con this past year, but um, I had uh, Joe P. Harris, uh, the actor, uh, dressed up as the goat blood character wearing a costume <laughs> that Eric had made. So um, that, that grad school upbringing really kind of taught me to realize my ideas in a bunch of different forms. It doesn't have to be um, just two-dimensional. So Um, Yeah, uh, I kind of uh, fumbled around for years uh, in a fine arts career. I I was a gallery artist. I had a museum show for a little while. I lived in New York City. Uh, And then when I moved back to California, I kind of found myself in San Francisco in a tiny apartment where I could no longer make these giant paintings. So Uh, San Francisco having a really vibrant comic scene still to this day, a lot of sort of I would say anchor shops, Uh, the one in particular that is just a half a block away from me is isotopes uh, isotope comics lounge. Um, nice. they have been a huge supporter of my work and and you know certainly a measure of my success has been uh due to uh James and Kirsten the uh, the, the sort of um, co-facilitators of, of isotope um so yeah I came here and, and met a bunch of people I went to the alternative press Expo I was lucky enough to find the prism comics booth uh prism being the lgbtq plus um organization at Uh, A lot of events, they had their own show for the first time called QCon this past um, June uh, in West Hollywood. So I was lucky to be a part of that. But uh, they I I saw that booth and I saw the work that was being made there. And I got really excited, but I didn't quite see the book that I wanted to read that really captured my experience. Uh, And certainly there were comics, um, gay comics that were being made about bears in particular um we'll we'll call it uh what it is I call it oafs that's kind of my euphemism oafs. for it yeah um but I I didn't quite see that that book and and my experience that thus far in San Francisco at that point um didn't didn't sort of see that represented so I decided you know what better way to you know um, manifest something that you wanted to see in the world than to kind of make my own um and it, it just kind of started from there so
0: <laughs> oh, nice right I I like, I love the term bear because I think, well, first to disclosure, you know, Danny is straight. I'm his longtime friend of mine um, is his wife, Christina. We worked together. That's how I actually got to meet Dan. And uh, one of my, my favorite stories is we went as a group to San Francisco. Um, It was (laughs) after a trip to Big Bear, California. And so Danny had purchased a beanie that said Big Bear on it. Uh, And it just happened to be during like, you know, annual bear jamboree, whatever in San Francisco. So, as we're walking through, like bear after bear is like eyeing him down and like just, you know, trying to <laughs> work with Daddy's like, what's going on? So, we, we finally oh, sent, <laughs> like a paper and it's like, International Bear Jamboree this week in San Francisco. And he's like, wait, what's a bear? And he's like, oh dear. And, and it's just, it was, the. it was just like the, 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 he realized what it was and why people were responding. And like, he basically had an advertising on there that, he, you know, big bear. It was the funniest thing ever. Uh, and so I, I'm curious how many people are brought to your booth or to your product, to your comic book that are like, let's say metalheads and don't know what a bear is and think, oh, this is a cool comic book about. This big burly wrestler dude, metal, and then find out about it and are still cool. You know, I, I mean, I think I kind of know the answer, but are still cool with it being a little bit, you know, about relationships or gay life. Uh, and, and how many, if you have you ever had an experience where they're like, oh, that caught me totally off guard. Like I'm not into this.
1: Huh. Yeah, well, I, I would say that um, definitely I was excited and, and a little surprised to find a crossover audience for sure. Yeah. And I can kind of pinpoint, I think, the moment it happened, I did uh, a show in Portland, Oregon, called uh, Stumptown. And, you know, Portland being the very much the progressive city that it is, even mm-hmm. at that time, I think it was like 2010. I noticed I was getting a lot of... Um, What I perceive to be, not to generalize or stereotype, straight dudes, you know, beardy, perhaps blue ribbon drinking, you know, uh, (laughs) uh, guys, uh, you know, Pacific Northwest guys coming over to my booth that were just kind of attracted to the image that you described earlier. This sort of, um, you know, big kind of ugly, hairy dude, um, scary eyes, scary pink teeth. Uh, in these little tiny uh, underwear with a cat on the face. So they, they kind of got it. Um, they got that it was celebrating that body type. It wasn't the usual sort of pop cultural trope of making that character out to be a sidekick or comic relief or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's not that there isn't humor in the book. I mean, that is the heart of the book. But, uh, but- the character of the oaf was the sort of centerpiece of that. And they they got that it was a reverent and an affectionate portrayal. Um, so I think I always say, um, "Oof" is is a type. It's it's not necessarily bound by gender. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not bound by age uh, or or race or anything. It, it can be. Everybody has an oof in their life, essentially. Whether it's their their partner, their brother, their husband, their father. So I think that that um, was an immediate connection that a lot of these let's let's call them straight um, guys made that, um, they got into it, you know? So, uh, then they would pick up a book and they would find the, the music elements and the cat elements. I think the cats being sort of a secondary cast unto themselves <laughs> are another thing that people really connect to. So, I will say too that I, I kind of purposely constructed the book to be open for a, a broader audience. I, I didn't mm-hmm. use particular words. There were certainly some images that I considered to be deal breakers that at the time you might see in other comics, like erotic comics. But oh. um, I didn't want to necessarily put that in there because I just wanted to see who would come to the playground, so to speak. Uh, you know, and it's it's funny. Um, I just I think in the the collection that Fantagraphics ultimately released there's like two penises in it. Uh, and yet you can still go to Goodreads and read a review where some um, person put a comment and it's the hot dog.
2: Gift for the hot dogs.
1: There's, there's only two penises in it. I don't, I don't, get it. So I don't have to work at hard at all to offend people. Um, but uh I have to work real hard to get like the gay audience that's into kind of erotic Mm -hmm. comics, embrace it um, in in the same way. So I never had any moments where people got upset or offended. I think if you just pick up a book and open it, it's pretty obvious what's going on. And if it's not for you, you can put it down and politely leave. Um, I've definitely done some shows in more conservative places and I've, I've never had a problem. So, um, I, I guess I feel sort of blessed. Uh, I'm just going out and doing shows now in the, the sort of, um, post era that we find ourselves in um, yeah. from the former guy and, uh, have occasionally just been like, okay, is this, is this still okay? Um, I did a GI Joe cover once that got me in all kinds of trouble. So I've been kind of... A little knives out for that when I've been going out recently since March. I think I've done like six shows. So uh, yeah, never, never any real incidents that made me feel unsafe. Let's say. That's good.
0: Yeah. And, and I, it's funny that you mentioned the G.I. Joe cover because I was going to just mention that it's one of my favorite variant covers ever. Not only that you've done, but just in general, um, I'm a big fan of G.I. Joe. You know, this is obviously a, a Gen X pop uh podcast so we're big fans of all the like you know throwbacks GI Joe ThunderCats He-Man etc so when i saw that you were doing that i was like oh i had to rush out and go get it the cover itself seemed to me like your version of GI Joe you know a battle scene nothing homo, you know, nothing in your face that I thought, oh, this is gonna be controversial or, or this is gonna, you know, make people uh, grab their pork, you know, clutch their pearls or anything. Um, but yet you still did have a conservative faction that was like, oh, this is too gay. And when you look at it, you're like, what? It's the exact same thing you look at when it's regular G.I. Joe. And, and to kind of tell our audience, you know, you have wrestling in your comics, you have heavy metal. The imagery of those things are, are also very homoerotic. You have guys wrestling with each other in little Speedos. Uh, I mean, you have outright now guys that are, you know, part of their shtick is like grabbing people's junk or kissing. Um, you have heavy metal. You know, my the first thing that comes to my mind is Judas Priest and Rob Halford with the Leatherman outfit that teenage boys for years accepted but then all of a sudden if you put it under the guise of a gay guy it's like oh that's sick you know he's all leather what a weirdo and and it's so fascinating for me that that you have it's the exact same image but if you just call it gay artist created it it all of a sudden becomes controversial it's so weird to me
1: yeah i mean let's just break it down for a second like pro wrestling and heavy metal what are these at heart they are men Performing for other men to watch them, to um, communicate their prowess at a certain skill, whether it's bodybuilding and, and feats of athleticism or guitar mastery. I mean, it's, it's largely men watching other men in various states of undress. Um, <laughs> in the case of heavy metal, it's men trying to impress other men with how fierce and ferocious they are and their virtuosity, um, how heavy they are. So it's all about impressing other men, like the whole yeah. thing. Um, now, that doesn't necessarily make it gay or sexual right. in any way, but that is the baseline. Um, so I'm, I've am i always been surprised why uh, more gay men aren't into both of, of those things. Uh, I can tell you I have an existential loneliness as a death metal fan, a gay death metal fan. Whenever I find one, I just, like, grab onto them with both hands and, like, try and <laughs> geek out with them as much as possible because I have been in the gay bar wearing a Slayer shirt And asked if that's serious, if I'm like wearing it ironically or whatever. So, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I do love kind of coming in and stomping on these sort of sacred heterosexual cows, you know, out there. And (laughs) and G.I. Joe is one of them. And (laughs) as you said, that cover, um, it outraged uh, a bunch of those those conservative fans. Why? I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, a lot of my gay fans were like, this isn't very gay at all. I mean, you just (laughs) added chest hair to it. Um, I will say, I'm sorry, I'm going to rat out Hasbro. Um, They wanted me to change the butt on that one character of Ripper on the ground. They said it was protruding too much, it was too sexual. So they might me curve the back on it Just uh, a couple other little edits. Uh, and I, I was just like, okay. I mean, I'm, I just really wanna do this. I'm so thankful. Aubrey Sitterson, shout out to Aubrey, a real successful writer um, for, uh, uh, he's had a bunch of dark horse books and successful Kickstarters uh, releasing his work. Um, I just thankful to be, uh, asked to do it. Uh, but yeah, I just, I sort of didn't understand, uh, what the big deal was. Cause I thought I had threaded the needle pretty well. Yeah. And yeah, if you look yeah. at the Baroness, I mean, how many sexual, sexualized images of the Baroness are out there? I think the big criticism of the conservative guys was like, don't sexualize this kid's toy. Have you seen the Baroness in the movies? <laughs> Have you seen some of those covers of yeah. uh, one of the, the, um, newer covers that springs to mind is of the Baroness completely naked, wrapped in a fur sort of rug in front of a wow. fireplace. That's the cover, you know? Wow. <laughs> Whatever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but once you start, and, and you know, I grew up with, you know, covers by, by you know, I love these artists, but like Jim Lee or, um, you know, the iconic like X-Men, Mark Silvestri, um, very voluptuous. Like that's how I kind of learned to draw is by like, Copying their version of of you know female bodies, and I never thought twice about it. I just thought you know they are beautiful women. They're supposed to be athletic, but then when you become an adult and you're like, you see how angry men you know straight men get when you just slightly you know tweak something and show you know Nightwing's ass on a cover, and they just like their head explodes, and you're like, for the last eighty years, it's been nonstop. <laughs> objectification of women in every single way and and it's like just give us Nightwing's ass every once in a while it's not that big of a deal like <laughs> don't read that comic then go get you know the, the an issue of uh whatever you want to go you know look at but it's it just it's really funny I, I we've talked about it on the podcast a couple times of of you know um people that are like anti-Eternals movie anti-She-Hulk and all this like mm-hmm. uproar and it's like Everything that Marvel does does not have to be geared towards your little society. Mm -hmm. It can't, you can, She-Hole can be for women. I don't think that it's just for women because I really enjoyed it, but it doesn't have to be just for you, like chill out, like go watch Spider-Man again. If you don't want to watch the Eternals go, you know, go watch Thor. Um, but it, I, I get really heated about it. Cause I just think it's so dumb. It's so stupid. Like there's so many characters, so many comics out there. There should be something for everyone. Um, and so uh, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll just keep going on. If I, if I keep thinking about it, but uh, <laughs> to To get ready for this interview, I, you know I wanted to come up with some good questions for you. So i I threw on some slayer. Um, you know, was kind of like listening to that full blast. Um, I might have conjured a demon or two on accident, but uh, we'll see what happens. Um, but how does music inspire you? You know, we obviously know that heavy metal aspect of of lovable Oaf, but do you, you know, are you someone who puts on music while you're drawing, while you're writing? Uh, how to, how, to, how has it impacted you as an artist and as a creator, and how has it seeped its way into your work?
1: Yeah. Well, I should say in the onset, uh, my parents refused to get cable when I was growing up, so we did not have MTV. Uh, I oh, caught oh. MTV at friends' houses and my cousin's house so when would we would go um, visit them. So I had to, I, and I was an early lover of music. I think the first cassette that I got was from my aunt and it was Michael Jackson's Thriller. And I used to sit in a rocking chair and just, because we didn't have MTV, nice. up videos in my head. Mm-hmm. So from a very mm-hmm. early age, I did my best thinking when I was listening to music. And I would say that's still very true today. I do my best writing when I'm listening to music. I almost kind of, I wouldn't say I get into a translate, translate state, but you know, certainly um, it's a a mental lubricant for me to kind of move through ideas. Uh, As I said, I visualize things as I'm listening to the music. So um, it takes me into some really interesting places. I make different decisions. And if I'm just kind of sitting and writing at a computer and I'll jot things down. So that's very much a part of my writing process. It's just um, my husband has seen me do this before. I just sit in the dark with headphones on and kind of rock back and forth, and uh, you know, occasionally jot things down, and and yeah, that's that's definitely from a very early age been a part of my visualization process. Um, heavy metal in particular, especially uh, I wanted that to be a part of the oath comic uh, right away. I wanted there to be these battling bands in the comic, um much like from my youth, uh, enjoying uh, Gem and the Holograms and the Misfits. I wanted oh, nice. to have two battling bands and and have that as a reference point in the comic as well. Big fan of the gorillas. I mean, there are a bunch of other, a metalocalypse later, you know, obviously, um, uh, you know, was a a big inspiration. So um, wanting to have that in the comic, I I definitely did some research and and, uh, reconnected with my inner metalhead because I like all kinds of music definitely. But, um, I've had that thread running through. Uh, it's been interesting. I, I'm catching up on Stranger Things to see the character of Eddie and a pop mm-hmm. cultural sort of manifestation mm-hmm. for the the first time, at least in a mainstream way that I can think of. For a little while, um, having like a, a metal character in there, so yeah, um, you know, definitely I, he doesn't quite stand up to my my smell test. Um, and I'm, I, I should say I'm I think four or five episodes into the the last the latest season. Mm-hmm. Um, my my baseline is John Bender from Breakfast Club. He's the realist. He's a he's a real one. Uh, and Eddie, I'm still kind of forming an opinion about. But um, I, you know, definitely uh, watching the new season of Stranger Things. Um, that you know, I was I was a bit younger, but I kind of started then too with with Metallica and. Uh, nice who else? Def Leopard Hysteria mm-hmm. uh, was my big um, Def Leopard record. So it's kind of come in and out of my life. Uh, but I about, oh gosh, it's probably been like seven years ago, I've started to work for Decibel Magazine, um, one of uh, the, the better, uh, I would say best, um, heavy metal magazines that's published in the United States, um, covering all kinds of extreme music. So I had to immediately kind of catch up Uh, to do that job. So my consumption of that music definitely increased and that filtered its way into the comic as I realized that there was another audience out there that I might be able to reach. Um, as we had sort of mentioned before, just putting, I did a comic where my characters meet Carrie King, yeah. Uh, and try and give uh, him a demo tape. And I've heard that he's been given that comic. Um, oh, nice. nothing more than that. I mean, if you re- read the comic, they are being <laughs> real sketch and creeper <laughs> around Carrie <laughs> King by the end of it, so, you know, um, but once I started putting that in there, I definitely got people that would come to my booth and be like, I hear there's a Carrie King comic here. Um, where is that? So yeah. I definitely wanted it to be a flavor or a palette that I painted with because there is a band in the comic, as I said, um, Oaf's main love interest. Uh, at the at the heart of it, it, it's a romantic comedy and the Oaf kind of um, takes some interest in the lead singer of this band, Ejaculoid. Um, and it's a disco grindcore band. So um, there's a lot of in jokes about metal in there that that metal guys, uh, you know, can can kind of gravitate towards and, and understand and appreciate. Um, but I still listen to it to this day. Um, and as you were saying, Uh, working with the magazine for years with the Decibel, I've slowly um, started to be followed by some of these death metal bands, which I'm not musically inclined at all. Um, So when one of them follows me, I'm just like, Oh my God, it's like a dream that I get to (laughs) participate in this community and, My style doesn't really lend itself to a lot of the T-shirts and and album covers and stuff like that. I'm very realistic about that. But I have started to get asked to do shirts and things like that. In particular, this one band, uh, Casket Slime, I just did a a design for. So that's like a dream come true for me. I love that band. They're sort of a a fresh death band. Yeah. So, you know, it's had an interesting feedback loop. Um, I've portrayed it uh, in the comics and now I'm becoming a participant uh, myself with it. So, yeah, um, I still listen to it. I mean, my, my favorite bands right now are Sanguisuga Bog, uh, Vomit Fourth. I could go down the line. Yeah. Maggot Stomp <laughs> for anybody that's interested. It's like a great <laughs> label. Uh, I recently got into deathcore, uh, which is hated by death metal fans of of our generation. They're sort of like the younger <laughs> millennial and uh, Zoomer um, bands, like uh, uh, that's their audience, uh, like Deathcore. But I got into fit for an autopsy, which to me is the logical next step in my own goth journey. Uh, I was super into Depeche Mode and Susie okay. and the Banshees and The Cure. Mm-hmm. Uh, fit for an autopsy is just a harder version of of those goth bands and and sisters of mercy i can't
2: not mention sisters of mercy yeah Yeah. i just learned what deathcore was a couple weeks ago (laughs) when we interviewed (laughs) a journalist from australia who covers deathcore music so that's really cool that's really cool
0: yeah one of the things that was really striking about talking to with our, our our previous guest is how you know quote normal and and you know, well mannered and and almost soft spoken. He was. I shouldn't say soft spoken, but just not the the hardcore. Like you almost expect to talk to someone and be like, "Whoa!" Like, "Hey, how's it <laughs> going?" And and, and we kind of joked about that. And and it's funny how you know people get labeled and there's these assumptions about that. Uh, you know, you mentioned going into a gay bar with the Slayer. Um, have you had sort of any? you know, other um, requests from, you know, your gay fanhood of like, can you slip in some like more traditional, you know, nods to gay icons or, uh, you know, have you been tempted to like maybe add anything that maybe people would be surprised that you're also a fan of? No,
1: I mean, I think really early on in the the Oath series, uh, there's, a, there's an, a short story called Ultimate Sacrifice in which Eiffel is is trying to uh, I think conjure the favor of the Dark Lord or something like that. And he does some chanting. And, and within that is the um beginning of bad romance. Uh, <laughs> Lady Gaga's <laughs> bad romance. I'm not going to try and say it here it's been years since I heard that song. That you know, I'm a Lady Gaga fan. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'm periodically. People so know me, my my circle friends so know me for liking that that type of music that when I say, Oh yeah. I saw Tori Amos uh, in the, under the pink tour, you know, when I was in college, like I didn't spring from the womb like this. Okay. Like I I had a journey. I can't live in that, that sort of um, that type of musical world forever. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I need some release. I'm a big electronic music fan. I loved uh, the chemical brothers. Last record was sort of my, my lifeline during the pandemic. Uh, yeah. The Strokes Last Record is amazing. Mm-hmm. That um song At the Door. Um, mm-hmm. that is that was my pandemic song. It still gets a little tear, you know, coming <laughs> out of my eye. Um, it's an incredible animated video, very heavy metal looking, heavy metal magazine um looking video. So I'm trying to think if there are any recent references. I've been so steeped in um, working on the follow-up to the Oath Book, which is essentially a prequel. I know prequel, right? Yeah, everybody's doing a prequel. <laughs> uh, but I just saw uh, someone do a review of the uh, House of the Dragon, and they were sort of saying, you know, I think it's time to redeem the prequel. Like Better Call Saul, people kind of think that's a better series than Breaking Bad, and yeah. you know, House of the Dragon looks like it's going to be a you know a, a great series too. So I decided to kind of go back to. Uh, the oh, sort of year one as uh, goat blood as the sort of heavy metal themed wrestling character that you see little glimpses of in the comic, but I've really sort of focused on in the last like five years a little bit more. Um, and then we also pick up with Eiffel, who is uh, a senior in high school and is being bullied, and you know um, goes home to watch. What else but wrestling and kind of see his future husband if you've read the Oath book or I won't say husband, they're not married yet. They're still dating, but (laughs) Um, so a lot of my my music references from back then are, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure that they were period. It's like the mid to late 90s. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of uh, not so many contemporary um, music references in that. But certainly uh, he goes home uh, from school skateboarding and he's listening to Midlife Crisis. Uh, by faith, no more. Um, and he's he's waving hi to all the dads in his neighborhood because he knows them all. He's on a he's on a, a name basis uh, with all of them. So um, yeah, I'm just trying to think uh, some of the other pop cultural references. I'm also kind of working on a, a an unrelated book right now. A, a pitch, a sci-fi horror pitch that oh, cool. kind of uses um, it, it. It kind of uses Earth, which is long extinct but has put out um, Earth's sort of radio waves, electronic waves, whatever, have polluted the farthest reaches of the universe. So (laughs) um, it is uh, fetishized. Earth culture is fetishized. So there's a lot of, you know, kind of uh, pop culture references. Klaus Nomi uh, might be surprising um, that I'm a huge fan of of his, uh, the sort of uh, very dearly departed, um, one of the first, I would say, victims of the uh, AIDS in the early 80s. Um, but was an iconic artist, so those kind of pop culture references that aren't metal, I, I try and work into things too cool. uh, every once in a while.
0: Nice. So I I heard that you might be introducing a Latina wrestler into the realm universe there, and can we, you know, maybe hear some more about that character?
1: Absolutely, she has been. Uh, she was a disaster. Uh, is that <laughs> particular character. Uh, and yeah, she was introduced in a short run of uh, Vice comics that I did back when Vice had a sort of, uh, I would say daily, um, but once a week, artists would upload uh, their comics. Uh, I was asked to do, I did a run of I think 12. And then I did a short run of six where Disastra replaced. Uh, Goatblood as the main character because I wanted to pivot and try and show a little bit of that character's experience, Um, what it's like to be a female wrestler, Uh, the costume uh, sort of branding that went on with Goatblood in the first round of comics. Uh, She also goes through that too. Um, She is a part of a, a coven of. Wrestlers, uh, mostly female, but but some of them are non-binary, some of them are genderqueer, some of them are trans, nice. uh, and they all embody a different genre of metal. Um, so she is oh, cool. uh, sister death, yeah, That's and, cool. and uh, she's yeah she's a Latina wrestler, um, and yeah, uh, that that run I think was collected in. Fantagraphics collected it in something. Um, But yeah, um, no, definitely. I I wanted to take sort of the relatively static and brief look that you got at the wrestling world in the Oath comic and expand that, have more fun with it comment on a lot of the tropes of wrestling, but also, as I said, um, it's it's meant to be a more sort of progressive wrestling league uh, that's based in Oakland. So um, much like what's going on with wrestling today, I kind of wanted to mirror that. Um, you're seeing stories and you're seeing um, gimmicks and character types that you, um, un- up until very recently, haven't been able to see uh, in, in professional wrestling. And I think that, that that's just, that enriches storytelling. Like, yeah. I don't want to see the same like boring to, um, <laughs> you know, muscle heads and especially white muscle heads, like pound each other into the ground. It's boring. It's one of the reasons why I've lapsed from WWE right now. I mean, for obviously their politics are garbage, uh, but um, it's just the same, more of the same. Um, They're not interested in kind of telling new exciting stories. So. I'm excited by Paro, you know the death uh, match, uh, Daddy Bear, and yeah. um, Effie, and uh, I'm trying to think of who else. Um, yeah, I mean it's a great time to be an indie wrestling fan for sure, and I wanted yeah. to make sure that I explored that in in the comic too.
0: Absolutely. Um, you mentioned you're a big fan of horror movies. What are some of the horror movies that like your you know top five? Some of the top movies that you just are classics.
1: Yeah. Okay. Again, another unpopular opinion. I just got into a little tiff with somebody over neon demon, which has a terrible Amazon prime review. Uh, <laughs> and I, I understand why. And a lot of the reviews are from women that did not like um, the fact that it was a, a man kind of essentially writing um, his, uh, his version of a, a LA modeling, you know, sort of scene. And, and I get that. Um, I think there's more going on in the movie than a lot of people are willing to kind of, Uh, look below the surface of it. Uh, I think it's about witches. I think that the the central three characters are a coven. Uh, And I think the main character, have either of you seen it? I
0: have not seen
1: it yet. Yeah, no. Um, The main (laughs) character is this seemingly very innocent um, young girl who moves to LA with dreams of becoming a model. There is much more going on with her if you sort of read between the lines. and you especially midway through the movie, she kind of undergoes this transformation. And there's, I think there's a lot of uh, it's 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 witchcraft, you know, for sure. And there's some necromancy towards the end. Nice. Um. Uh. Spoiler: It gets real. If when I say I like horror movies, it's because I like to watch something horrible. Um. Now, obviously, there are boundaries, <laughs> and I I don't want to see you know um any kind of. Um, you know, uh, endangered groups, um, vulnerable groups exploited in these. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's that that's across the board. But I want to see when I want to watch a horror movie, I want to watch something that challenges my boundaries and makes me feel the horror of that situation. Mm-hmm. Um, Neon Demon will deliver that for you by the end. OK, of for sure. <laughs> um, so I'm a huge fan of that. I love Mandy, um, that Nicolas Cage movie. Uh, I forget because Panos Cosmatos uh, is the director. He only did one movie before that hmm. called Beyond the Black Rainbow, which is great, but not as fully realized I think as Mandy is. Um, it's a great Nicolas Cage performance. Yeah. People get down on how derivative some of the things are. The villains in it are very much the Cenobites from the Hellraiser <laughs> series. <laughs> but it's a movie like Neon Demon where you can just like immerse yourself in it and, and just be okay. carried along um, by the, the waves of imagery. They're very beautiful films and um, you get some of that catharsis in it, which is another reason why I watch horror movies. It's a revenge movie. Um, so yeah, I love Mandy trying to not go too long winded with this. Uh, I liked green room uh, that came out several years ago. That's about a, a punk band that finds themselves mm-hmm. the Nazis, in right? the Middle of the woods. Yeah in, yeah. in Oregon playing for a bunch of Nazis and yeah. they see something that they should not see and they have to fight their way out of mm-hmm. the, the green room. Um and uh, Patrick Stewart is in it in a very non-Patrick Stewart role. Uh, (laughs) I don't get attached to any of the characters. Mm -hmm. I like movies that are like, screw your feelings. Um, You know, here's an actress
0: that you love. Mm -hmm.
1: We're going to do something terrible to her, and you're going to (laughs) be upset. Um, I like those kind of horror movies, for sure.
0: Yeah, same. I I think anything that kind of knocks you off your feet and, and does the unexpected... I really like, I become a fan of uh, definitely. So um, I wanted to do a little bit of uh, give you a a quick list of like one or the other and tell me which one (laughs) you prefer. If you want to, you know, tell us why by all means definitely. So so to get this one's a little bit timely because it, you know there was a new predator. So Predator or Alien?
1: Oh, Aliens, sorry. Um I someone asked me recently what my favorite movie is and I struggled mightily with that answer. It's aliens. It's got a little bit of everything in it. Um, it's got a performance of a career uh, from Sigourney Weaver. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got sexy Marines in it. Sorry, <laughs> um, and it, you know it's got one of the most iconic uh, lines in in film history. Is for for my money. Um, so yeah, definitely aliens. I like I like the first Predator. That's definitely um, one of my my three favorite Schwarzenegger movies. Yeah, um, Running Man, Predator, and um, oh gosh. Uh, what's
2: the, what's the third one? Oh, uh, Total Recall. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Kindergarten Cop. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> All the comedies are a total wash. Sorry, Arnie.
0: <laughs> I, I actually, in, in um, regarding Sigourney Weaver in and, and Alien, uh, I just read this article, and she might have something in common with Wovable Oaf. Apparently, her panties, she refused to pull them up. Um And they were so low that her hair was sticking out and they had to pay someone to digitally, you know, airbrush. I don't know if it was okay. digital back then, but like <laughs> to move her pubic hair. And yeah. the director was like. Yeah, I spent like $7,000 because she refused to pull up her panties. And I thought, I I, I just thought, that's a badass Sigourney Weaver Mm -hmm. story. Like, I love her, but like the fact that like she was relatively unknown actress at the time, that was like her her star making vehicle. And she was like, no, you're going to see my bush, like whatever. I have hair, like deal with it. Um, Really cool.
1: Fantastic. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, so this one is uh, for comic book geeks, and and I think you might know um, the little bit of controversy, but um, Doom Patrol or X-Men?
1: Oh, man, that is a real tough one, because Doom Patrol is really close to my heart. But I got to go with X-Men, because when I started uh, collecting, like as a serious collector comics uh serious as serious as a 13 year old can be <laughs> bagging and boarding essentially Um, my first issue of the x-men was 248 it was the first jim lee issue so um you know i am ride or die for x-men the comics that i have refused to get rid of over the many moves that i have made are my x-men collection i won't i won't get rid of those so yeah definitely them but i mean i i love doom patrol i love grant morrison um, when I started to trend out of mainstream comics as a as a older teenager, uh, that that Doom Patrol run, I think, with Richard Case was the uh, the artist on it. Um, yeah, it just it really spoke to me. Um, I got into the, the TV series a little bit. I have to say I I cried my eyes out when I saw Danny the Street was in it and that they were using their, their, them pronouns uh in episode to describe that. Flex Mentallo is my favorite DC character. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's a tough choice, but I, I got to go with the X-Men.
0: Yeah. And have you, did you do a variant cover or was it just like a pinup of Flex? I feel like I've I just seen- did a, a
1: a pinup. Yeah. I, oh. uh, I, I was sort of, there was some interest in me doing one at the time uh, when Gerard Way had taken over, um, but uh, never never came to fruition. So I did that just so I could draw because I would have absolutely <laughs> flexed metallo on that cover. Yes. Nice.
0: All right, so here we're going into like a little bit of music. Uh, so Ozzy or Rob Halford?
1: Oh, man. It's got to be Rob. I mean, uh, I will not front. uh, While I enjoy Judas Priest, they are not... I have a couple of their records. Um, They are not an albums band for me. I'm more like singles of course, I, you know, I love Ozzy. I watch the Osbournes like everybody else. Uh, (laughs) I like those first uh, couple Sabbath albums. So, uh, but it's gotta be Rob just because he is who he is. I mean, I follow him on Instagram. He's still out there doing it. And, um, you know, I, uh, I, I worship that. He imprinted on all of these straight metal bands, all these death metal bands and black metal bands that are dressing the way that they do, they're dressing yeah. that way because of a gay man who went to, I think, um, I forget what the name of that shop was in, in Britain, uh, in the UK, uh, fetish leather shop. And he just bought the store and started wearing it on stage. So it's it's gotta be um, Rob.
0: Now, you, you mentioned that you went to school here in San Diego. Um, did you go to school when Rob was living here in San Diego? I have a Rob Halford
1: story. So I was in Hillcrest, um, probably the first year that I was there, so 1998. Before I think he trafficked, kind of in between there and and uh, Arizona. Mm-hmm. I think he was he could be found in Phoenix. Uh, but I was at the, I think it was a CBS, whatever the drugstore is in, in yeah. Hillcrest, across from the Brass Rail. I think it's just the rail now. Yeah, um, C- I was in there. I was waiting in line to get water or something like that. And there was Rob Halford, you know, um, in line too. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we did. I did cross over. I didn't say anything. I was, I was terrified. Yeah. And also probably a little drunk. And just... I, I was I, that was not my agenda. I did not expect to see Rob Halford that evening, uh, but I certainly knew he was. He had only just come out, I think, at that point too, maybe one yeah. or two years after he had come out. So uh, he was very unabashedly out on the town that night.
0: Yeah, I, I when you mentioned uh, the story of Oaf like chasing after, you know, trying to hand the demo. I I saw Rob in Hillcrest at uh, the coffee shop next to Urban Moe's. You know, just having a little coffee. You know, you have this image of him as like Judas Priest and you know the iconic singer and he's just you know nice guy you know of a certain age drinking his coffee and I you know got all quiet and just like watched him for you know, a few minutes before like I look like a total weirdo. Um, but I, I, you know, I think that's what I love about your comic is it is so relatable. I mean, I remember being in like eighth grade and hearing where like the quote after party was, like after a concert and trying to go, even though we were like kids and there was no way we were going to get in, but still like trying to get in and, you know, try to see the artists and get to, you know, get to hang around them. So um, I love that you add that into your comic because it's real. It's, you know, especially for music fans, like they can relate to that, of that desperation and that like you see your hero right there and it, you know, love that part. So um, we talked about G.I. Joe. So G.I. Joe versus another classic for our generation, Masters of the Universe.
1: Oh, it's G.I. Joe. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, again, this is a tough one because I look at the way that I draw and very recently came to discover that um, the sort of simple blocky masters of the universe, like that that body type that, you know, it, cause those figures mm-hmm. were largely, there were some <laughs> custom parts, but the arms and legs, they just swapped out. Um, but that kind of blocky sort of simplified um, musculature, I think really uh, imprinted on my drawing style because you know, I I had wanted to be a, a comic book artist when I was a teenager, but I just could not draw that way. And I think it's because Masters of the Universe sort of like you know, <laughs> stitched its way into my brain that that sort of voluminous way of drawing bodies. But GI Joe, you know, again, I think um, <laughs> it's just something about a man in uniform. Um, I, I love the diversity <laughs> of the outfits, and especially when they started to get a little bit away from the straight military kind of looks. Um, you know, just Um, greens. Uh, My favorite character is Bazooka. I dress up as Bazooka. That's my cosplay. Uh, And he's just a dude in like a a Patriots jersey essentially. I think he's based on a real character and he's got the mustache and he was a great character on the cartoon. I definitely enjoyed the cartoon. Um, It's better than I think a lot of people remember. So if you haven't watched it recently, Mm -hmm. watch it. Especially those five part episodes where there was an arc. They kind of tell the same story three times in a row <laughs> and in fact, a friend of mine uh and I were talking about them. And at, at a certain point we got completely tripped up, um, trying to make like sort out who was what and the MacGuffin that they all had to get. Um, but no, definitely there's there's so many more characters and um you know, I'm not a I'm not a, a, you know particularly a military guy. I always say it's not really about the military. If people want yeah. to sort of say that it's like yeah. a warmongering and they were trying to program us in the 80s to be into the military, I am the furthest. Th- I love that stuff. I never wanted to join the military. <laughs> uh, I was terrified of the draft being uh, reinstituted, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the, the late 80s, early 90s, uh, when we were getting involved in conflict. So um I, I look at it as science fiction. You know, it's,
0: yeah. it's largely science fiction. Yeah, yeah. I, I same. I mean, I am not a big military gung ho like maga person, but I, I had every GI Joe they, re- they release, every vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of morbid, but after every you know battle that I would have, I had the case where you would put them in their single slots. And now that I think of it, I'm like, that's really creepy that you have this like case of like coffin, like carrying case for each of your soldiers. But um, for me, you know, it was like easy, you know, carry put it away or whatever. But I, I love G.I. Joe. I still um, I was tempted to start collecting the new, you know, classified G.I. Joe action figures. But as like I have limited space in my geek room, so it's like choices like what are you going to start collecting and what. Do you have to say, you know what? I can't start with that because I'll be, you know, have stuff out in the street. So I
1: hear you. I mean, I resisted the, <laughs> the classified series too. And instead, I started getting the the original vintage uh three and a half inch ones because I just wanted the ones that I had when I was a kid. I yeah. wanted a bazooka. I wanted a flint. Um, you know, truthfully, now they are about twice as expensive as one of those classified series. Uh yeah but they look so good. I mean the, mm-hmm. they they look great and they're doing a great job of kind of remaining faithful to the original designs and and the the faces. I will always prefer the original head sculpts even though they're sort of really simplified. Um they had a lot of character. They were often based on real people. I don't know if that's the case with these new ones, but but I yeah. hear you. Yeah. I mean, where does it stop with these the yeah. 6 yeah. and 7 inch figure lines like
0: Yeah, really I think cool. that's that's like the uh, the theme for you know, nerds of our age and our, you know, it, there's so much stuff that's being thrown back like to the nineties, you know, all the toys, all the comic, like all of our pop culture from when we were kids is all coming back. And it's like, they know where the money is. They know that we've exactly. reached <laughs> and that we can afford to like throw down a couple, you know, twenties to buy a, you know, a couple GI Joe figures. So uh, when it comes to comics, me and Danny are sort of, uh contrast he likes sort of like that gritty realism of like Daredevil the anti-hero uh, I sort of like the superhero like fantasy like they're gods you know my thing is like why punch someone when you could use your telekinesis power to hit them uh where do you fall in that camp like do you have a preference do you like that superhero superman godlike creature or person or do you like that gritty Batman you know real man kind of a aesthetic
1: uh, yeah, well, I, until you said Batman under the gritty, I was going to say, well, we're talking about Marvel and DC, right? I mean, it's sort of classically, uh, but yeah. it has bled together a yeah. lot, um, you know, uh, in the last couple of decades, I would say. I would I would say I'm more of the, the gritty, realistic. I know that uh, uh, DC has done a great job, you know, breaking down those um, godlike characters or, or at least presenting them with problems that are, mm-hmm. you know, big enough for them to kind of handle. But... Uh, I uh, if we could, you know go back a little bit to uh, the '80s and '90s, well, let's just say '80s X-Men. Um, <laughs> you can't talk about the the Hickman run because um, they were on a completely different level and almost godlike during that. Yeah. Um, but I I think I I liked the how the X-Men could be hurt. Um, and I especially love the Australian run because um, that is, I think, the grittiest that the X-Men got before the gloss of the 90s and the, the gold team and the blue team kind of came out. Um, they were that I always call them the punk rock X-Men. Xavier was gone. Good riddance. Hate Xavier. <laughs> Shoot him in space. space. I never want to see him again. And you had this grittier um, team that uh, half of them were were very they were injured. You know, they were coming off of um, being massacred uh, and all went to kind of go and heal. So that was, I think, the closest I th- I think what happened during that era and, and we're, I think we're talking mid to late 80s was uh, the X-Men had to keep up with the Punisher. And Daredevil mm. and and Dark Knight, so they started killing people and they started fighting people who were killing people and massacring people. So um, I liked that that grittier um, team. They were all uh, hot trot. There were little like love triangles within it because um, daddy was gone, you know, mm-hmm. telekinetic or telepathic uh, uh, father figure was gone and they were, you know, just kind of out in the uh, outback, like kind of checking each other out. So um, definitely more on the, the gritty side. I mean, as I said, I, I, uh, it's ancient now at this point, but I did like the Grant Morrison justice league run where it felt like they were gods and they were presented the the um, anti gods, you know, people that could take them down. I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed those stories. I've kind of uh, stepped away from a little bit, so I'm not sort of sure what's being done with them these days. But I definitely love a more vulnerable and flawed um, type of hero.
0: Yeah, I, I while you were saying about you know the uh, Mark Silvestri, um run. Uh, I, it made me laugh because I think of how people say like the woke comics are now. And, you know, I remember a particular issue that that they had where I think Psylocke, Dazzler and maybe Rogue go shopping and they have like a fashion montage. And I'm like, <laughs> really, like how, how like I mean, it's not gay, but it definitely is like it's not like this, you know, Uh, you know, uh, make America good again, like great again. Like they were throwing some bones to the little gay X-Men fans, you know, drawing Dazzler in a cute little like leopard miniskirt. And uh, so it just made me laugh because it's like, the, when you really look at things like we've always been there and they they have known that we've been there as fans of comic books and music and and um all of those things and uh, it's not anything new that it's yeah. like i
1: can't not mention to the entire inferno storyline where everybody's costumes are being ripped off and you yeah. have I, I just it's burned into my memory havoc <laughs> has just like this little strip of fabric and then his, <laughs> he's 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 like tights are ripped to the thigh and it's like midriff bearing and it's like what are we doing here mark silvestri like, this is, I mean, and, definitely yeah and definitely has like a dom
0: sub know. relationship with the goblin queen right it's like mm-hmm. very submissive and uh yeah it was definitely i mean was it like my introduction to the fetish world like now that i think about it like Looking at that imagery, it's it's really funny. But um, you know, I we well, I do want to give you some opportunity to talk about upcoming projects where people can see you. you are you going to any conventions soon? Um, yeah. What's going on?
1: Yeah, at the at the time of this recording, I'm getting ready for the Small Press Expo. Uh, that is in Bethesda, Maryland. It's it's very close to DC. It's one of the few East Coast shows that I do. Being um, someone uh, on the West Coast, I you know I do shows up and down. In fact kind of getting back into doing in-person events uh that started mm-hmm. in march and i think i must have done six or seven shows uh since then um so yeah i'll be flying out there i believe uh small press expo is the 17th and 18th of september uh it's at i uh i believe it's a marriott in bethesda love that show um the uh I've been nominated for a couple awards, only one won, but the twice, uh, the two times I've been nominated were for the Ignatz Award uh, that, that is given out at the, the Small Press Expo. Oh, nice. I believe it's the biggest indie show that happens in the United States anyway. I think nice. TCAF, the, the Toronto Comic Arts Festival, is the biggest one in, in sort of. Um, th- this particular uh, continent. But um, but yeah, I'll be doing that. Uh, on September 24th is Permanent Damage, which is a really fun show that uh, Keenan Marshall Keller and Tom Neely, um, who have done the humans for Image, uh, they've been doing these, uh, I think every six months, once in the uh, summer and I think uh, once in the fall, um, they'll be hosting uh, Permanent Damage SF at the Silver Sprocket. Um, comic shop, a uh, uh, renowned publisher and and uh, retailer here in San Francisco. Oh, cool. uh, I forget who's in that, so I don't want to say just in case <laughs> I, I fudge that, but I'll be there um for that too. Um yeah, I'm kind of in uh as far as new projects go, I'm kinda in generation mode. Uh I'm you know, coming out of the pandemic, I I was not affected uh, in the way that a lot of creative people were who just took the opportunity and kind of ran with it. I think of Simon Hanselman who, you know, put out uh, some of his best work uh, and, and award-winning work during the pandemic. I kind of contracted and went into survival mode and just kind of lost my, my creative spark for a time. And I've been kind of trying to get that back. I've written a bunch of scripts. So I certainly have a, a, the follow-up to the Oath book you know, that is in the works. I've released a couple chapters of that as individual issues um, that I have on my website and just been really excited about kind of maybe doing something outside of Oath, not like completely outside. Um, but as I said, being a, a huge horror fan and a sci-fi fan, I started to kind of, uh, some uh, a publisher sort of asked me like, what else you got? And I thought, I don't know. What else do I got? Uh, and I ended up um, uh, sort of putting together a six issue miniseries. I don't want to sort of say too much about it because it may never get off the ground. But right. I spent a lot of time um, kind of figuring that out. And uh, it's kind of my response to the pandemic, having just sort of mentioned that uh, and uh, just feeling really isolated. Um, As I said, it's got a lot of um, the kind of pop culture references that you'll find in the Oath because Mm -hmm. I I found a clever writing device. Uh, You know, Earth has polluted the entire universe. So um, there's uh, the farthest reaches of the galaxy. There is a a little glimpse into what I'm doing. There is a monastery planet um, whose religion is based on pro wrestling and death metal. Um, so it's for all the misfits it's for people like me Um, that's where they go to sort of find religion and um, it's all about proving how badass you are so there's a whole issue where um, the main character uh, goes and says this is the place for me this is where I belong Um, so uh, yeah uh, that's it's as I said I I, every once in a while release a t-shirt or a print or something like that Uh, it's I've been a little quiet because I'm um, trying to to generate new material.
2: Nice. I have a uh, question okay. real quick. Just real quick about your creation process as a writer and the artist for Wovable Oath and for possibly, hopefully, a new sci-fi one. What comes first in your mind, the story or the artwork? Oh, definitely lately
1: it's been the story. So uh, that is the complete opposite of the Oath. He, he started out as a paper doll design for an art show, a paper doll okay. art show in Arizona. I just kind of came up with the character and people were like, "Uh, what is this? You know, who is this guy? (laughs) So I built a story around him. Uh, But lately, uh, being a professor, I teach at California College of the Arts in the Comics Mm -hmm. MFA program, which is actually now has a BFA program starting this fall. And then I also teach in the Illustration program. Um, Being a mentor to the Comics MFA grads, we start with writing. Uh, And I have found that that has become more of uh, my process. Okay, that's cool. free writing, especially Um, my work is becoming a little bit more autobiographical. I'm really boring. I could never do memoir. I'm not that interesting, but I can take the seeds of my, my, um, my experience and Mm -hmm. sort of turn the volume up on those and and kind of craft something. So I've been doing a lot of, yeah, that, that kind of free writing and and kind of going through being a middle-aged man, um, going through my youth and, and sort of seeing how I'm, I'm becoming my parents. Uh, and how did I get here? And um, you know, uh just kind of trying to to sort of uh reconnect with that younger version yeah. of myself uh and and perhaps rewrite a little bit of my history, um, things that I I I in this uh latest chapter that I sort of wrote, um Eiffel gets his first boyfriend and um he's uh have you either of you ever seen Night of the Demon or Night of the, the Demons? It's in the late 80s. The 80s yeah. yeah, I think I've seen it there's a character yeah. called stooge in that yeah. stooge uh a less um misogynist uh horrible version of that character um becomes uh, eiffel's first boyfriend so that's been really uh fun for me to, to oh, sort nice. of write that and i didn't uh have that experience when i was young so uh definitely um there's a there's a little bit people will say that you know most comics are or male power fantasy, and and that's kind of my version of it. I I want to rewrite my <laughs> my history a little bit. Um, that's the the fantasy element. So yeah, definitely uh, writing first. If anything, the drawing has been a little bit of a struggle, especially with this science fiction comic that I'm I'm mm-hmm. trying to do. You know, it's it's I sort of um, struck lightning a little bit with the original Oath character design and to try and follow that up, I've really sort of struggled uh, in terms of trying to design. So, um, you know, I've just been letting all of this stuff seep into my eyeballs and at a certain point it it comes through my hand, so. Nice. Nice. Yeah, very cool.
0: So I, I wanted to direct everyone to your website, which is uh lovable oaf, uh to spell it for everyone that maybe doesn't know how to spell it, wuvableoa dot com. Um, not only can you go there and buy uh collections, um, I think there's two volumes now, right? Of um uh, you mobile. can't get that
1: on my website. And and disclaimer, that website's really ancient. Um, oh, really? so try and view that <laughs> on a computer. Um but otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> you can get those, those two Oaf volumes um, pretty much anywhere. Um, oh, okay, nice. directly from Fanographics, You can get them from um, the uh, Evil Empire of Amazon if you want to, but th- those are available all over the
2: place. Yeah, and I'll go link. Ahead. I'll make links in our YouTube and whatnot for where people can go purchase those, and right. I'll yeah. include myself because I, I want to get them out
0: yeah one of the things that i I really appreciate about you, Ed is that you have the coolest like merch relate you know oaf related products like stickers, uh, your t-shirts I have I think I have like three of your shirts um, uh, you know, uh, just a ton of cool stuff. so um collectors, I think, would appreciate that because like I love to collect everything I've already mentioned that but got a lot of Oaf stuff so um I definitely recommend people that are fans of you know illustration I think it's such a strong graphic that you have in the Oaf character um slap it on your uh, your water what are those called hydro flask um I, that's what i've done so, uh i think it's cool so anyway thank you once again for for coming and talking to us um i definitely have appreciated your your conversation um and uh once again everyone check out your work go buy support you as an artist um once again thank you very much
1: yeah thank you both it's been a real pleasure
2: yes thank you. thanks